I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello listeners, welcome to another edition of the Football History Podcast. My name is Nick Hart and I'm going to a big welcome to the show today to Phil Annett. Welcome to the show, Phil. Hi Nick, hi, great to be here. And Phil, listeners, is the author of a wonderful uh, cornucopia, I'm borrowing some of the blurb on this, the cornucopia and compendium of FA Cup facts. It is the 150th anniversary of, um, for me, and I think most football fans feel, the most wonderful football competition that there is. Certainly the grandest, and um, it still carries, a, uh, its name still has status, the FA Cup. Um, this is an immense work that you've put together here, the FA Cup 150. How do you compile such a book? I mean, you must have a system of um, filing system, like, like, you know, like New Scotland Yard with card indexes. And how do you do it, mate? <laughs> Yeah, I have I have a very good system that I know where everything is, but I don't think anyone else would be able to find their way around it. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's basically double, triple, quadruple checking everything that I do in so many different places. Um, right. Probably not the most efficient mechanic, but uh, I find things quite easily. So uh, to produce a book like FA Cup One Fifty, um, yeah, always uh, requires just checking and double checking. And uh, uh, it's an immense database or databases uh, with all with all the results. And uh, I've just used my statistical skills, I guess, to bring together information that helps tell a story about the competition. I think Sherlock Holmes had a similar system. He knew where everything was in his office at 221B Baker Street, didn't he? And it, it worked for him. And it clearly works for yourself. Just to start us off, the reason that I'm speaking to Phil is that he does have a book out and it is available You've actually got your own website here for facupfactfile.co.uk and there is a deal on listeners at the moment, £15 for the book, but free postage during January. That's got to be worth a go. The book, the book looks really, really fascinating. If 
if you're into the kind of, um, I, mean, I suppose I'm comparing it with the likes of the, the Ruffman's Football Yearbook, Phil. I mean, what inspired you to to begin to do this, um, you know, that compile this, this this wonderful work? Well, I've, I've always um, loved the statistical side of football as much as I've loved football itself. Right, uh, okay. I mean, some would call me a nerd, you know. <laughs> um, but... No, it, it used to be a derogatory term. I think it's now a term of respect uh, for people. I agree. Who, yeah, I who agree. are willing to put the time in to uh, be dedicated to something they're passionate about. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the FA Cup was a, a fantastic competition growing up. I was uh, from growing up in the mid seventies, and it was the only game, the cup final, the only game you could see on the TV live, and they made a big show of it, spending all day building it up. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I'm afraid to say my team is Leeds United, so uh, at the time, <laughs> you know, they were quite big at uh, a club in the Cup in particular as well. And so the two things combined just um, meant that I fell in love with the competition and have retained affection for it ever since. You know, the, the nerdy side of me just collated facts and stats, as you do. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's around about 2000 or so, a book came out called The Complete FA Cup Results. And that showed me all the results that existed in the qualifying rounds as well as the um, proper rounds, as they're called. And it was a whole load of information I never had. And as, a, as I was a bit of a completer finisher, I needed to make sure I had everything. I then started <laughs> collating that as well into a format that I could use to what eventually became FA Cup Fact File, which is the, the Twitter handle I used to share my information. Yeah, um, which which I am a follower of, and I recommend anyone listening to the show follows it. It's it's a great source of um, oh the wonderful information that just makes football you know what it is. It's it's like the salt and pepper on top of your of your food. It's it's a wonderful wonderful stuff. I mean, you're I'm, we're doing this this interview, listeners. This is an audio podcast, and I will never use the video for this. But I'm seeing Phil is the same age as me. I, I also grew up in the seventies. And, um, you know, it's, I was just making some notes here before we, we started speaking. Um, it was one of the, it is the landmark of the year, really, as a kid. It was the whole day devoted to um, all sorts of things. It's a knockout. I remember they had mm-hmm. like the two team supporters, quizzes and mm-hmm. um, the build up. It was an immense thing, wasn't it? The FA Cup final day. It's lost some of the, it's lost some of the gloss in that way. I suppose the advent of live football, Premier League live football. Yeah did for it largely yeah premier league football being on every week and then the champions league being the competition where the money's at uh, yeah sort of took the shine off it from those who are concerned about the money side of the game but i think if you talk to and i do too if you talk to fans of the game and i'm sure if you talk to players of the game and i've done that as well that the, the the love for the fa cup is still high you know yeah so, i agree who wants to be a uh, Who wants to be able to tell their grandson in future years that I I won the FA Cup versus oh, I managed to make fourth place one year, which was quite <laughs> nice. You know, if you can show them a medal, um, or even if you're from a lower level club and you've scored a goal in a competition, what a fascinating thing to be able to tell your kids that that you've scored in the same competition as your heroes. And, Absolutely, uh, a fantastic uh, competition. It brings everyone together from all levels of the uh, football world. We, we live in strange times. It always intrigues me and fascinates me to some extent when you get these online debates over the relative value and worth of different clubs now. I mean, obviously, we're living in the um, the kind of elite age of Premier and European champion football. 
Um, but who really cares when you're a child what the what the accounts say at the end of the year? Who's got more money and who, who who's top of the uh, the Deloitte, Deloitte um, Accountants League? It does, it's it's all about the glory, or it should be. But um, it's, we're, we're in different times now, aren't we? I mean, I think that's the beauty of the cup. I mean, it is it's such a democratic competition. I mean, it, you know, doing a little bit of research for this this conversation, I hadn't realised the extent. The, the the depth of um the level it goes down to level 10 i believe all, all clubs basically down to level 10 level nine the okay. fa have restructured the pyramid and they've sort of promoted a few teams up to get uh, a set number of teams across all the levels and so now they're saying it's it's level nine is your entry so as long as you're at level nine and you meet their criteria for ground grading uh, then you will be included in the fa cup and i think the FA have just tried to try to standardise it as much as they can. Um, I think over six hundred clubs. Yeah, 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 six hundred, uh, seven hundred. Obviously, like more than seven hundred clubs. Um, I do think it's a good idea to try and get the standardisation, but I do also know that there are stacks and stacks of clubs who wish they could be involved each season that meet the ground grading, but don't actually have the status in terms of league position. That would still love right. to be part of the competition. And for me, it'd be no, it would be no skin off the nose of the FA to allow them to take part. I really don't understand why they don't just say, come on in, you know, you've got the mm. ground grading, just take part and uh, be, be involved because the clubs at that level love the competition, I think, more so maybe than, than those involved with clubs at higher up, uh, even though their chances of winning it are, are zero. Negligible, yeah, to zero, yeah. So, I mean, it struck me, that the, the kind of qualifying rounds, I mean, I think... As a fan, I mean, every every fan of every club uh, relates their the glory days. You know, in, often are cup ties, aren't they? I mean, you know, um, if you can make a final, that's that's wonderful. But invariably, there are cup runs, there are moments of glory, and every club has those moments as part of their their tapestry. I I, I, I do. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you do. Every listener probably does to some level. But what struck me was the qualifying rounds are almost like a you know, it's like a parallel competition going on beneath the surface, like an iceberg. And all of those clubs will have their their giant killings, their their their, their days of bad luck, all the all the things that come with it. Yeah, they they remember the big days when they beat uh, um, local rivals, or if they were able to knock out a, a perceived giant, or they had a famous comeback win when they all yeah. lost. Uh, yeah, it's all relative, but it's all remembered in uh, in, in in with fondness. Um, more so maybe than, than any league campaigns or even league championships. Um, I think the, the FA Cup does evoke a lot of passion and uh, memories. And I think that, you know, people love to be involved in it. And it's the easiest thing to remember. Where were you on that day when we knocked out so-and-so from three levels above? And brilliant for me as a statistician for the FA Cup is that every year that means there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of stories as clubs across the pyramid create records for themselves that I can then communicate and share with others about how well they've done. That's fantastic. I mean, I was trying to, um, I, was, I was trying to write some questions out and I was, I was falling into the trap of just writing the easy questions. One of which has the cup lost its, is the cup tarnished Phil? Is it lost its gloss? But then um, you've got Kidderminster Harriers beating Reading in this, you know, not, not, not just a few weeks ago, Newcastle getting beaten at home and, now the the richest club in football allegedly <laughs> yeah, uh, getting beat by Cambridge at home. So and Boreham Wood, of course, uh, beating Wimbledon. So yeah. 
I've, I answered my own questions. I kind of gave up trying to write easy questions for you because I, I found myself answering them myself. I mean, it's wonderful to see that. Um, I mean, obviously, this year you've got a slight rule change and they've done away with replays, haven't they? Um, I yeah, think the FA have plans for that to, to just be a temporary thing. Um, do you like replays? Do you, I'm, I'm kind of drawn to the one-off do-or-die idea. I, I think there's something in the spirit of it. <laughs> As a statistician who's got to monitor lots of games, a one-off game is a brilliant thing. But you know, <laughs> self-interest. But for me, replays are an integral integral part of the FA Cup. Um, historically, obviously, they were used to try to um, get a winner after the first drawn games, but they do play a role uh, in that they provide an opportunity for you to uh, get. An advantage over the disadvantage of being drawn away from home. So in the yeah. FA Cup, home away, it's random. So you know it's a disadvantage if you're drawn away. So the replays are there to enable you to have a chance to get them back to your place. Modern times, a lot of people focus on the money side of it for smaller clubs, and say for smaller clubs, it's about trying to get um, the money from a trip to a larger team, and that may well be true, and I'm sure it's beneficial for clubs when it happens. Um, but I think more so for those clubs, it's about the prestige of holding a giant to a draw and then yeah, absolutely yeah or even, even better still having drawn it there at their ground and bringing them back home um you know the biggest most common fa cup upset that is shared whenever the fa cup comes around is a hereford versus newcastle united victory in 1972 and that was a consequence of a re replay having hereford having held newcastle at st james's park took them back to their own ground and that's yeah what clubs at that level want. They want to be able to play the big teams at their ground, but use the replay to get back to their own place. Or if they're at home, to get for that big money spinning win uh, that gets them to the bigger ground. Either way, it gives them an opportunity to be the focus and therefore the TV will be interested in, in um, following them. And that will bring some income in uh, itself. Uh, as we saw in the third round this year, the non-league teams got missed out in terms of yeah. live TV money. But if any one of those had drawn their game, if they'd been allowed to and had a replay, they would have been in a, from a smaller set of teams, a, a smaller set of games. So they would have had more chance to get TV money from a replay. So I think, I think, for, I also think, and this is, this is fairly controversial, but it's my view is that uh, I, I say uh, quite quickly, getting rid of replays in the FA Cup will not free up uh, fixture congestion that is perceived to be the reason why they've been taken away. I, yeah, I it's hung on that, isn't it? It's hung on that. Um, I have a line that's it. like it's like taking your uh, taking the tonic out of your GNT if you want to give it to an alcoholic. It isn't going to happen. And uh, it, you know, it's farcical. Um, we've had to we have one replay in the second round this year. One replay out of twenty games. Uh, I think we've only we would have only had about three or four replays in the third round. So how many teams are really affected? Yeah, it's crazy. yeah, yeah. I mean, fixture congestion is is a perennial complaint of the, the elite clubs. Um, but there we are. It's a different podcast, I suppose, isn't it? <laughs> uh, we'll leave that there. Your uh, your your pro replays. I I I know what you mean. I I, I get that, and I I, I kind of um, agree with it. Um, I, I suppose also if giant killings are the lifeblood of the competition, which is the FA Cup in a in a nutshell, that potential that you never know who's going to play. Mm. Uh, well on the day he's going to play badly I suppose a one-off gives um, gives more chance of giant killing so whichever you can go around a circle 
I guess. I mean, yeah. it's great to win on penalties. I know it is because I've, I've been involved with teams that have done that. But is that the same as winning in 90 minutes? Mm. Yeah, sure. yeah. It all depends. That's one, 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 of, one of my team's great um, cup ties. We, we played last time we played Chelsea. Millwall beat them on penalties. So mm. if it works for you, they're brilliant. If you get beat by them, <laughs> which we did a couple of years ago against Brighton, then they're, they're heartbreaking. So, yeah. yeah. There we are. Different, different um, podcast, as I say. Um, strange thing with the FA Cup, Phil, and I don't know if you agree with this. I think it's it's ne- it's loved in a way that the League Cup has never been. The League Cup has always been this kind of like the runt of the litter, almost, you know. And um, you know, you don't remember your League Cup ties in the way you remember your FA Cup ties. It's it's got that kind of um, what is the word? It has it has it runs deeper, doesn't it? It's it's, it's it has a status and a glamour that the League Cup has never generated. I, th- I think, you know, so over time, I know it's hard to relate to people from the early days in football, but it was the first football competition. Yeah. And for years and years, it was the one to win. And I suppose that has ingrained itself in people in the way that uh, the League Cup hasn't. Because even when the League Cup was launched in the 60s, it wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't brought into by all the clubs. It took about two or three seasons and, a, and a, yeah. an agreement would be a Wembley final and European places to get the top clubs to be involved so it's got a history of of um, disinterest right from the start um, <laughs> it was a bad start wasn't it not a good start. But, yeah, do you compile stats on, on the league cup just out of interest or, or is it Wait, not one that you do you, do you compile stats on the league cup or is it not i, I have got them but it's so widely covered by uh, so many different people it isn't any real worth it yeah make a point of difference um, so yeah the FA Cup, and I do an FA Vars one as well. They're, they're competitions that aren't so well covered uh, at the same depth. I mean, once you get beyond the third, third round, yes, um, there are many statisticians out there who will talk about the FA Cup. But to cover the whole competition from start to finish, I think I'm the only one who's doing that. With, it's you know, a, that's a, that's a huge, yeah. huge task you, you take on there. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned the start of the competition back in 1871-72. And suppose, as you say, I mean, until the formation of the Football League, which was 1888, um, mm-hmm. it was the only football competition really worth the name, wasn't it? It was it, it, so it had that kind of head start. Um, I'm always fascinated by the public school origins of the competition that's become such a um, icon of, of what you might call the working class game. But it was it had its origins in the in the, uh, the fields of Harrow, and um, you know, yeah. places like that, didn't it? The Wanderers were a, a bunch of um, Public school boys, basically. Well, all, all the clubs around there were either of public school boys or from the uh, forces, uh, the armed forces, or or had that ethos of the amateur game. Yeah. Um, there are other people who are much more expert on the foundations of the FA Cup in terms of all the people who were involved in it. Um, but basically, it was the fledgling FA who had only been going for eight, nine years. Um, Charles W. Alcock had been involved in a competition at Hallow School that mm. uh, he thought could be used as a template for getting competitive games for FA member clubs. And that was where it was launched. Uh, I think it was a sportsman's office uh, in London. And uh, yeah, the, the, I think uh, I think 18 clubs originally said they wanted to take part, but three decided they didn't want to by the time the draw got around. And then several withdrew even after the draw so we got off to a yeah. very slow 
But yeah, yeah <laughs> they were all amateur clubs and it was an amateur game for a long time. And there was a big battle, as you may well know, between the amateur and the professional game, even before the Football League started. Um, and quite a few of the clubs sort of pretended that they weren't playing players when they were and the FA found yeah. out and, and kicked them out of the competition. But it was a battle that was always going to be won by the professional side of the game. And yeah. Uh, where we are now. Absolutely. And I mean, I always enjoy, <laughs> I suppose it's a well-known fact that Queen's Park from Glasgow, were, I mean, they only played one game in that inaugural competition. Was it a sem- <laughs> They went straight to the semi-finals. And then couldn't afford the welfare to come back again. That was that was their that was, um, cool, that yes. was their cup run, wasn't it? Um, wonderful. Yeah, and then they, they entered every year for a few years and they didn't even play a game for for many years. And then when they finally did, they got all the way to the final on a couple of occasions. Uh, yeah, they were a very dominant force in Scotland. I think they were unbeaten in Scotland for many many years um, and won all the early FA Cup games in Scotland as well, uh, finals in Scotland. So yeah, it is it is nice. They they, they um. They played in two finals against Blackburn in consecutive seasons, Blackburn Rovers. Uh, yeah. It's a unique aspect of the competition where it's the only time two clubs have faced each other in consecutive finals. So I think it would be interesting if that ever happens again. I mean, a landmark, I suppose, for the, the, the FA Cup competition, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I, the, 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 uh, the attendance of George V in 1914 at the Cup final, the first time that a member of the Royal Family had attended, kind mm. of gave it um a stamp of uh official endorsement poignantly just ahead of the first world war where they, that that you know that they may well have called upon the very fans that uh they were suddenly endorsing but anyway that's me being cynical mm-hmm. um i suppose that was that would you say that's a, that was a, a, the kind of start of the modern competition in terms of national consciousness or would it predate that for you phil well if you think about the um the final of 1901, where there was uh, 120,000 people turned up. Yeah, yeah. 127,000, I think. Um, that was when Tottenham Hotspur uh, were in the final against Sheffield United as a, as a non-league team. So it was obvious, even before the Royal Family patronage, that it was the game of the masses and that the cup final was the big game that everybody wanted to see. Yeah. Um, it helped that Spurs were a Southern League team as well. Yeah, been dominated by the North in the previous season, so it was uh, it's good to see that rise of the football strength in the Southern League, um, epitomised by both Spurs and Southampton and Millwall. In fact, with, with yeah, big, yeah, the big cup team, yeah, yeah. I think Millwall, Millwall Southampton in 1900 was a, a semi-final of two non-league teams, so you can see how big the game was in the, in the South. And so, yeah, I think it already started and, and maybe the, it could be the other way around that the Royal Family saw that it was something for them to be involved with to uh, yeah. maintain their popularity. But that's quite an interesting game, that, that Burnley versus Liverpool. It was uh, the last time the game, the final was played at the Crystal Palace ground. Right. Uh, it's also for a historian like me, the intriguing fact about that game, that everyone thinks it's the first one George V was at. But for me, it was the last time we had an FA Cup final that involved two teams that had never been in a final before. So that, right. that for me, okay. is, is, a, is an amazing stat about that game. Yeah. Uh, every, okay. every final since then, at least one of the clubs has been in the final in previous times. Right. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's, you you, you bought me out with that. <laughs> that <is definitely laughs> you bought me out with that one. <laughs> 
the the Crystal Palace ground is. I mean, obviously the first finals were they played at various venues. I think the Oval Cricket Ground was the well, first. Oval was the main one. Yeah, it was much, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, besides <laughs> the second FA Cup competition, the Wanderers were not only were they allowed were they exempt into the final because it was it was meant to be a challenge cup. So the winners so you defended your title. Just, yeah, I get it. Yeah, uh, they chose they chose the venue as well. Um, right, as well as being exempt. So you have some strange uh, grounds, but. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was the Oval primarily, then then Crystal Palace, then Stamford Bridge had a run while they were building Wembley, and then obviously Wembley and Millennium Stadium have been Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the photo, I've seen photos of the, the old Crystal Palace ground, which I think was primarily a cricket ground, I suppose, like the Oval, and the crowd was immense, but it looked like such a, such a um, not, not an easy venue from the spectating yeah. point of view. The, the guys standing on posts and all yeah. sorts of things to get a view yeah. of the game. Yeah, well, um, a, I said picture of that one from that 1914 final with the Liverpool fans standing on the post. Yeah, yeah. The idea of the stand, uh, a grandstand, if you like, to go all the way and stand the, the ground wasn't really a, a dumb thing. Had it Aston Villa, I think, were the first to to go down the route of a, an all enclosed uh, grandstand. Yeah, as we would understand it to, in modern terms. No, yeah. I didn't know it today. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, it was more like an open field with a few stands scattered around, um, and then cram the people in as best they could. The idea of standing on that post for 90 minutes watching the cup final, <laughs> I'd take my hat off to those guys. But anyway, there we are. I mean, the, the next, I suppose, the easy, the easy iconic moments, I suppose, Phil, would be the 1923 cup final, the famous mm -hmm. White Horse, wasn't it? The, the, was it Bolton, West Ham? Yeah. Um, I mean, various estimates on the crowd for that. I mean, Wembley was mm -hmm. built with a 100,000 capacity officially. and. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen as fig guesses as high as two hundred thousand people in, in yeah, in, in, in yeah. yeah I mean, I, it, it was a, a double whammy for them. It was an opening of the new stadium, uh, or triple whammy. They didn't, they didn't think about ticketing. You know, it wasn't an issue. Never thought about ticketing, and it it was compacted by the fact it was a southern team had made the final in terms of West Ham. Yeah. West Ham, so, yeah. You know, there was a lot of locals who who were, would go and see the game. Yeah. So, it was fantastic from one side, but obviously a disaster from an organisation side. Um, but it's memorable now, obviously, for being known as the White Horse Final for the guy who who um, was on that horse who managed to manage the crowd. Um, yeah, an interesting side story in there that, that that the policeman who was on that horse was given a free ticket for every future FA Cup final and never was watched he? Any, Yeah, he didn't like football. <laughs> <laughs> I like that story. <laughs> was the horse called Billy? Or, or, or am I making yeah, that up? Like Billy, Billy, yeah, Billy the White Horse. Right. Maybe Billy could have gone. <laughs> Billy should have gone in his place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, I suppose, as you say, I mean, that, that's that's the level. I mean, if you think that that 1923 final is what, just um, 50 years on from the very first Wanderers game, which had, a, mm -hmm. I think, just a couple of thousand people at the Oval Cricket Ground. Yeah, and then you've got let's say 200,000, no one really knows, yeah. let's go with it. That gives you a kind of a, a sense of the expansion of football. I mean, it, it was it was, it was was an explosion, wasn't it, really, in this country? An incredible, incredible well, explosion of country, but interest. Obviously, but, but yeah, it, it, it was, and, and with it being so close to post-war as well, uh, you know, there had been no football for uh, a while during the First World War. Um, it, it just was a catalyst for interest for everyone to get to watch football so yeah a desire to enjoy yourself yeah, yeah. i agree I agree and, uh, i'm supposed um, 
Yeah, I, mean, I suppose in a similar vein. I mean, I, I picked out another, obviously the, the, the obvious ones here. I'm not going for anything you won't have. Uh, <laughs> if you wanted originality, Phil, you've come on the wrong podcast, didn't you, mate? But um, <laughs> Stanley Matthews Cup final, 1953. Um, I mean, that was. I mean, I always feel sorry for um, Stan Mortensen who scored a hat trick, but no, no one ever yeah. talks about the Mortensen Cup final. It's always Stanley yeah, Matthews, right. isn't it? Yeah, the only um, uh, the only hat trick at a Wembley Cup final. So. Uh, yeah, to, to, you'd think if you get a match ball, you'd, you'd certainly get the, the final named after you, but not not the case. Uh, yeah, I think no. was one of those players that was loved from across the country, not just for the team he played for. And uh, people uh, saw were willing him to win at the third attempt. Were willing him to win the uh, cup final, and he played such a dominant part in the comeback to to win the game. So that's what all the media focus was on. That just shows you. How powerful the media can be in, in conveying what happened in a in a competition. Well, everything we've spoken about so far exists in the black and white world of pre-history before I was born. The next game I've picked out is one I remember vividly, and I'm going to apologise to you as a Leeds fan. Apologise to you in advance because it was the first cup final that I watched in colour television. Phil, <laughs> we had first colour telly. Yeah, very and good. it was. Sunderland beating Leeds in 1973. Um, I mean, I, I think it's one of those games. Uh, I mean, I can't speak for you as a Leeds fan, but it, it, it exists out of time. It's it's just um, the story is bigger than the clubs, and the, the, it's it's just it was just wonderful. I mean, the the the, the save um, from Jim Montgomery from Peter Lorimer close close range. Um, the imagery I can still picture Bob Stoko running with that odd beige Mac that he had, and they had a hat on and all sorts of weird things. And as, I mean, as we said at the start of the conversation, it was, it was, it was the, the classic cup final of, of the time in the sense that you'd watched it's a knockout, people running around buckets of water. It's as a 13 year old at the time, it, 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 I'll never forget it. It's, no. it's a landmark moment in your life. I mean, um, a tough, a tough gig as a Leeds fan, I guess. <laughs> yeah. To be part well, of it is, is something. Had one of the year before, so you know it wasn't all. Yeah, they beat Arsenal, know. didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I, I would argue it's probably the biggest upset in an FA Cup final that there's ever been. Um, well, it's going to be one of my questions. I mean, the, yeah. the big. I mean, I would think that one. It, it, it tops Wimbledon in '88 for me, but yeah, I mean, Wimbledon '88. Wimbledon was sixth or seventh in the top flight, so you know. Yeah. Whilst on paper, it said Wimbledon had. It's all based on where they come from. It was fantastic that they'd won, and uh, you know everyone, everyone would see them as an underdog. But in the start of the narrative, it was that they were a match for Liverpool throughout the season, so it wasn't uh, that much of a shock. Um, the only other one I think that's come close is, is Wigan, Wigan beating uh, Man City in uh, twenty fifteen. Yes, yeah. when they got relegated. But even they were obviously the top flight club, so you know, it's more to do with the fact that they were so. Uh, um, low down the table when it happened but i, I would say you know, sunderland winning against leeds is probably the biggest upset in a cup final in its history i'll definitely say that and it provides the i mean if you get any montage on tv of cup <laughs> cup football you know i mean it, it's just one of those along with ronnie radford scoring in yeah. and again another um the, the, that, that was all played out on match of the day it wasn't live and the cup final yeah. was, was live um but the, these images are iconic, um, in the you know in 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 the true sense. I think. Um, I mean, as far as as far as the future's concerned, um, I, I think the, I 
don't know if you'd agree. Um, I think the cup still has its role. It's still there. It's still going. It's it, it, it's had a few rocky moments, but it's still in the game, isn't it? Um, well, I think you, you have know. to uh, you, have, you have to differentiate between the club owners and the clubs and their fans and their players for when you're thinking about the future of the FA Cup. Because obviously the club owners don't care for it because it no no opportunity to generate any income. This is at the top end. Although the managers see it as a good way of blooding players and getting them a chance to try things out in a game that they don't see matters that much either. But what I saw in, in when we had lockdown, quite interestingly, there seemed to be a, a, an upturn in, in the quality and choice of players that they used in FA Cup games and actually saw it as a, as a competition that it could use to, to try to do well in. And I think, um, I think there's still a large number of people that are connected to top clubs that will want the club to still take the cup seriously the challenge we have obviously is the top end clubs like manchester city do take the cup seriously in a sense because they still play teams that are good enough to beat whatever opposition they face because they've got such depth in their squad yeah and uh, man city i have to say i have to say have been one of the few exceptions that do take the fa cup uh, pretty seriously um, but other clubs you know, they get by to get through the early rounds because they've just got the strength and depth that they can play their second string team and it still be far too good for good them. enough the yeah others, yeah and that's yeah. why you see the top teams winning the fa cup each each year um, so even though they're perceived not to take it seriously they're still winning it so that's that's the, the dichotomy outside of that and uh, the the issue is you know, they don't make any money out of it, pittance as far as it's concerned. But I still believe that people in the club still want the club to do well. And, and you, you ask any of the players at Leicester, any of the fans at Leicester City after winning the FA Cup, mm. which, which do they prefer, winning that FA Cup or winning the league championship four or five years ago? Yeah. You know, or which not prefer, but which one do they remember the best? And I, 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 I Having talked to a few, but I've obviously not talked to anywhere near the majority, but all the ones I've talked to say that the FA Cup was a more special memory than winning the league. And it's glory, it's, isn't it? It's, it's, it's glory the day. Of the day. It's a fantastic yeah. occasion. Obviously, they've got a monkey off their back because they had held the record for the most finals without winning it. And well, that was going to be one of my questions. You've, you've, you've yeah. answered one of my questions, Phil. <laughs> well, they were. <laughs> I don't think it would be a particularly hard question, but, you know. <laughs> they had had four previous finals, but, you know, and it was won by a fantastic goal. And, you know, again, ask the Wigan fans, would you take losing the final but maintaining your Premier League status over what happened? And they would all say, no, we yeah. didn't the cup. You know, getting relegated wasn't an issue. Get, winning the FA Cup was a, such a fantastic day. It's in as we start, as you started off, it's about the memories that it gives. Absolutely, the fans and the players. You know, they'll they'll say, yeah, no, we'll have that every time. I'm going to ask you in a moment your favourite cup tie, but in blowing all the rules of interviewing out the walls, I'm going to tell you about my favourite cup tie <laughs> first. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's a podcast, and we do what we want on a podcast. Um, I mean, for any, for any Millwall fan, I mean, it, it fits in, I think, entirely with everything we've said across the whole of this show. But um, for, for from our point of view, I think um, the semi-final, when we got to the, the, the cup final, played at Cardiff um, in 2004, but the win over Sunderland in the semi-final... Um, 
it's one of those exists in its own world in in in, in the, the the collective memory of Millwall fans. Anyone that was there that day will never forget it. Um, I think some measure of realism when you get to a final against Manchester United, you can't really go there expecting to you have a realistic chance. But that win at, uh, at Old Trafford um, and to make the cup final, I don't know. It still carried resonance. You know, this this had, we'd never been to a cup final. Made the yeah, semi final a few times. Over our history, I and mean, there we made it. it. It will never, it never leave me. I know that much as a, as, as a fan, fan of the game. Um, so that's my favourite ever cup tie, Phil. But what's, what's your favourite? Do you have one that you that you that you linger over? Well, <laughs> I have many, many as you can imagine, and uh, it's changed from my my days of being a Leeds United fan going to games to now. Yeah, sure, yeah. I don't watch Leeds anywhere near as much, and we don't do very well in the cup anyway. Um, so just going around the country to games. <laughs> Uh, but my favourite Leeds United moment was in 1987. We were a second division team at the time and we were drawn at home to play QPR and it was on my birthday. Okay. So it was a fantastic day to go and watch Leeds play QPR in the FA Cup and for us to win. Right. Two, so we were a low-level team against the top-flight team. So that, and being my birthday, it was like of course. every... Everything and being the FA Cup, my, my favourite competition. So all all the things, all the stars were aligned. Um, thankfully, yeah. got out without any injuries because it was quite a notable game for a lot of crowd trouble and stuff. But wow, children of the nineteen seventies, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't unusual, but it was great, a fantastic memory. Uh, and, and the occasion, it's just the whole thing combined. It was, it was brilliant. And, and I love it. And so on. We've not. Had, we've we've only come close to being in the final uh, once, seriously, in my adult lifetime. So uh, that yeah. was that season, actually we got all the way to the semi-finals. Um, but it, it, yeah, that, that definitely would be my favourite game that I ever went to. Fantastic. I mean, always fascinating. Just as a side point, really, it always fascinates me. I mean, Leeds obviously now in, in the Premier League. Um, I'm trying to find a kind word, maybe a middling, a middling kind of Premier League side at the moment. It always fascinates me why teams in that position don't take the cup much more seriously than they seem to. They seem to value survival in the Premier League more than the chance of winning something. I mean, and, and cup glory to me, you've, okay. you, you, you've got a trophy on your team photo yeah. in the start of next season. It this is the me. This is the, the difference between the club owners and the clubs. That's why I'm always keen to separate them. Um, yeah, the club owner. Every position that they get higher in the Premier League is worth more, or at least yeah, the same yeah, financial. So yeah. you know, it's in their interest, even if they're mid-table, it's better to finish seventh than eighth because they get the financial benefit of doing so. Um, so the FA Cup, yeah, the players want it, um, the fans definitely want it. So you know, it, yeah. it, it's about that balance. And you know, I, I think you now people talk about why don't you give the FA Cup more money? or give it a Champions League spot, that'll make a difference. Well, it, it, it wouldn't, I don't think. I think actually what we need to do is is say to the guys who win the FA Cup, you know, there's, there isn't really a lot of money to win this, as you know, so we're going to take that money away and give it to the game itself. And yeah. uh, increase the, the rewards for other clubs who get progressing in the competition. Because yeah. you know, to win that £6 million or whatever it is now, it, it's irrelevant to you as a as a top flight team. That money yeah, it's a small change. Yeah. On the back of the sofa. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not you're not winning it for that. You're winning it for the prestige of winning it, and that's that's something that I've been very strong to advocate that clubs want to try and win the FA Cup just because of the prestige of the competition and for what it does to uh, generate uh, joy for the fans. 
And I think that's yeah. it. That's important. And even even Manchester City fans and, and other big club fans who've won the cup uh, several times in recent times. I mean, Arsenal fans and Chelsea, have, have, they've all, they've both, you know, had many finals and wins in the 21st century. But I'm sure every single final is still memorable to them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I was I was really lucky. I would, just before Christmas, I sat on a table at a, a, a function with some Berry fans. Berry, famously, uh, the biggest cups uh, final win, six nil in nineteen oh three. The name Berry has they've had their troubles recently, but it's that's that's still Berry. You know, that's that's that they're a name. That's a proper name. That's what a cup can do to you. It's it's um, it's wonderful to see. Um, them continuing and continuing on that tradition and, and keeping their name alive and you know that, that's that's the magic of the FA Cup as to you to borrow a cliche just to repeat listeners you can get uh, Phil's book FA Cup 150 it's 150 years since the very first competition the website is facfile.co.uk. it's 15 pounds and if you move fast during January, you're going to get free postage. I'm just looking at it. I, I might move fast after this conversation is over and get myself a copy. Um, Phil, I really appreciate your time today, mate. Um, I won't keep you any longer. Um, great to have you on the show. And do keep in touch and follow Phil on uh, your Twitter handle. What was your, your Twitter handle, Phil? So, follow me on Twitter, at FA Cup Fact File. At um, FA Cup Fact File. Thank you to Phil and... Um, Thank you for listening to the show, listeners, and we'll be back very, very soon with another edition of the Football History Podcast. Until then, bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 